Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. If you don't know Sadette Harry, she is one of my heroes, and a piece that she wrote for Wired magazine interrogating the way that technology sees Black women is actually one of the biggest inspirations for this podcast. Sadette is constantly speaking truth to power in technology, and I was lucky enough to sit down with her for a live taping of There Are No Girls on the Internet in New York City during Unfinished Live, a festival celebrating technology, culture, and the arts, where Sadek got really real about power and technology. And if you want to hear Sadek again, you are in luck. She'll be back at Unfinished Live 2022, September 21st through the 24th, 
both IRL from New York City and streaming online. She'll be joined by some of the most interesting people in technology and culture, like Dr. Sophia Noble, Denise Duncan, Bartende Thurston, and the founding member of Pussy Riot. You might even see me there. So if you do, be sure to come say hi. Go to live.unfinished.com for tickets, and please enjoy this live episode of There Are No Girls on the Internet from Unfinished Live last year. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. How's everybody feeling? Yeah. Uh, my name is Bridget Todd. Uh, I am the creator and host of the podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet. Um, this is my first ever live show, so thank you so much for being here. It means so much to me. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to be here with my guest, the brilliant Sadet Harry. Give it up for Sadet. Hello. So a little bit about my podcast for folks who don't know. It's called There Are No Girls on the Internet. And one of the first questions I often get is, what's with that name? What do you mean, there are no girls on the internet? Well, there's an old saying that everybody on the internet is a guy. And if they say they're a woman, they're just pretending. They're not actually a woman. Or if they are a woman online, that identity doesn't actually matter. You know, we're all the same on the internet. And so that I, exactly. So that identity and all of the issues that come along with that identity, there's this misconception that we just leave it at the door. And I actually truly believed both of these things for a very long time. I believed that black queer women like me were outliers in technology and the internet. And I believed if we did show up in these places, our identities and all of the issues connected with those identities, well, just didn't matter. You know, we left them on the door when we logged in. But that is not true. Women, black folks, people of color, queer folks, people who have all been traditionally marginalized, we've been showing up online to make it better, safer, more fun, more inclusive. And we've been there from the very beginning. I mean, think about it. What would the internet be like without black folks, queer folks, trans folks? It would be so boring, y'all. It would just be <laughs> journalists making boring jokes and having boring opinions about baseball, right? Well, they couldn't, we couldn't even have that without black people because a lot of journalists' boring jokes are stolen from <laughs> black interactions. <so> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. What would they report about if it wasn't watching us? Exactly. Exactly. It would be a nightmare without us. But because people from traditionally marginalized backgrounds, we've always been there since the very beginning. And we often are the ones doing the unpaid, difficult, sometimes dangerous and personal, personally costly work of making internet spaces safer, better, more inclusive, and better. And when we do this work, it's not just for us as marginalized people. This work makes spaces better and safer for everyone. Um, and so I want to give you a little pop quiz to sort of illustrate what I mean. So which of the following, and I know that you know the answers, which of the following is something that we know about the internet? Ahead of the 2016 election, an army of fake social media accounts targeted black voters in an attempt to destabilize our election process. Two, Facebook's moderation practices disproportionately remove posts from black people talking about our experiences with racism. Lastly, on TikTok, white supremacist groups create extremist content using TikTok's own features, not just to avoid detection, but to even have their content surface on users' For You page. So which one of those three things is a thing that we know about the internet? Raise your hand if you think it's one. Raise your hand if you think it's two. How about three? OK, so if you said all of the above, good job, you get an A. Here's another question. Of all of those things I just said, 
which of those things are things that black organizers, black social media users, black cultural critics have been vocally raising the alarm about for a very long time? Any guesses? All of the above. You guys are all getting it perfectly. If you said all of the above, you would be right. Uh, in a piece for Wired called Listening to Black Women, the innovation that tech can't quite figure out, my guest today, the brilliant cultural critic and all-around tech troublemaker Sadat, argues that when black women speak up about the abuses and harms that we face online, people with power just don't listen. That is, until that harm is experienced by other users. She writes, Harmful behavior toward black women isn't enough to inspire change until others are harmed. But the original harms are often lost by journalists tasked with covering tech. The power and rhetoric that went unchecked becomes common. And tactics used against black women for lulls become weapons used in conspiracies destabilizing the very nature of truth. From the swarming of victims to posing as black women to destabilize communities or even countries, Defining the systemic abuse becomes a frustrating exercise of describing an empty space that no one believes is there. If we can follow, surveil, and automate everyone, how could we miss anything important? And if, that, and if, and if it is important, it is only important for how it changes the mythical standard user, no matter how many people were hurt before. So, Sadat, when I heard those words, I have to tell you, it was the impetus for me creating my podcast at all, oh my in general because it made me feel so seen as a black woman showing up online. I think oh people gosh. often miss our issues, and you spoke to it so beautifully in that piece. And so I'm so excited to talk to you today about that harm, what accountability looks like for folks who have ignored that harm, enabled that harm, and in some cases profited from that harm, and how we move forward to an internet that meaningfully listens to black women. Oh my gosh, you never told me that before. It's true. Oh. <laughs> I, first and foremost, I want to do the thing where we name the fact that this is my second kind of public thing without a face mask that doesn't involve like family members. So I'm fidgety. Um, these are all things. And it's like, let's be honest about the place we are in and the level of comfort we are feeling because part of the work is just... We like high-tech solutions. We like the things that are shiny and sexy. But we are ultimately all using the web for our lives. We need to use the web to connect to each other. We need to use the web at this point to get groceries, get vaccines, to do our jobs. And the issue with what I've seen and what I've experienced with specifically that piece that led to the writing of that piece is that There's no way around when you are, have certain marginalizations or even in, in the current world for you not to be online. There's no way for you not to bring your whole self to the work you do online, the way you are online. What usually happens is that you package it so that whoever you're dealing with at the time feels comfortable, but you're still your whole self. You're still f having all of these issues. And with some of the things that we talked about, I wrote that in January. I've never told the story about that article, but I, um, and it's kind of indicative to the way I've been online most of my life. But what happened was, it was Breonna Taylor, rest in peace, rest in power. The protest started for Breonna Taylor, and there was a uproar of how could we have known, and what is going on, and we're, how do we do this? And a lot of this was also in post-George Floyd. But one of the things that happened is people were just like, how do we really describe this? Where's this thing? 
and I had written the art, an article for Model View Culture about people posing as black women in, in to um, kind of drive a web wedge within feminism in 2014. It had been an, uh, an, a phenomenon we had been exposing in 2013. And if we're talking about last year, 2020, so 2013 minus 2020. How many years ago is that? How many years passed? Seven. Now we work in tech, we are in social media. You, something becomes sexy and hot. Usually it moves within minutes or months. The metaverse, NFTs, those blow up and go in months. But suddenly to talk to black women takes seven months. And I, the editor of, of Wire at the time said something and I was like, pay me to write this. <laughs> I just said, maybe if you just paid me to write this, and a lot of things went back and forth, and then pandemic was happening. I said that in June of 2020, the article got published in January of 2021. So that still took an additional seven months. And that is a common theme for things that have to do with women, I think often in general, but specifically women of color. And once I finished writing the article, Facebook, whatever, what have you, what has dropped within the past couple of weeks? We are getting, which is a really great piece of journalism, the Facebook reports, but they are in the Wall Street Journal. They've been the Facebook podcast. And one of the reports, and this was really done in depth for the MIT Technology Review, points out that something like five of the top 10 revenue slash groups may, for, centered on black people and like three of the 10 for indigenous people are fake and are known to be fake pretending to be black people. I wrote this, I wrote my article in Model View Culture in 2014. I wrote an article for Wired in 2020. There was a report that went to the Senate from Oxford. So this is not a small independent report. It was in Oxford. And we also have Shereen Mitchell in the audience who wrote a, who wrote a report about this in, I think, 2014 and also 2017 and at various points. So we had all of this, but suddenly it becomes a thing when Wall Street Journal writes about it. It becomes a thing, like even Oxford couldn't get these people off. It was in the Senate hearing. Like one of the things that I say is like, bam, this was also in the Amnesty International report. And that was an interesting thing because I was interviewed for that report and I made some very specific comments on race and got told in the way that women who are multiply marginalized are often told, it's divisive what you said, so we're pulling it out. And what I said was, the first targets of these, the, these issues are usually black women. We don't pay attention. And in fact, we incentivize not paying attention because it makes great leaders and people get very good at talking about misinformation or harm online by making those people usually singly marginalized white women. But it was divisive. And that, I think four of those Facebook groups have been mentioned in the study by Oxford, mm. after, which was still done after the studies and the observations of black women. And once they were mentioned in the Wall Street Journal article and the reports, how long do you think it took them to take it off the internet? 24 hours. Not seven years. 24 hours? Oh, y'all are so, y'all are so <laughs> hopeful. 12. <laughs> 12, by the time one of, and some of them are just so openly offensive. Like the one, the number one was my baby daddy ain't shit because that's how they think black people talk online. So they thought that that was a real article, that was a real group when it made it wasn't. And that came down in 12 hours as long as the person reporting it wasn't black. 
And that has been a common theme in so many things that I've found for multiply marginalized people, but specifically for how black women are interacted with online. Now, usually for things like this, we are asked to when we have these discussions, the issue and part of what I wrote the article for and hearing about your podcast is, I really like being black. I like being black. And it's not, in, and I like doing tech work and I like analyzing things and I don't feel that I should have to answer everything through a lens of how do I make it diverse and inclusive or how do we answer our problems with uh, the lack of representation because it's not an our problem, that's a you problem. I am this person everywhere I go. Also, when I'm thinking about tech issues and why I wrote that article was I like to think about tech issues. I like to think about things like QA. I like to think about things about, I like to think about, so what does the GitHub repo is? Why is GitHub designed like that? My primary thing right now is community and comms. So if you've actually worked in product design, you know if you do anything that involves community, comms, copy, everybody's working in GitHub, you are usually porting tickets. But we don't talk about those things, and we often don't ask people who do work to talk about things. There is a separation between the social and the technical. And the problem, and the thing that I want, I constantly am trying to push is that those divisions are built into the internet. So the first, even the start of the World Wide Web, Unfinished Live is about decentralized protocols, and you will look at these things, and you'll see that the original meetings with Tim Berners-Lee and all of these people were divided, like, this is the technical protocol, this is the social protocol. That's a big problem, and that is a huge problem that we have carried through the web since its inception of separating those things, except they influence each other. If you don't have social representation, you don't design well. If you don't have a good analysis of technical work, you don't make good choices for what happens in social. And it's an artificial separation, and it's also socially influenced by where people think you are. Because the other part about the 2020 thing of like, let's listen to black women, is that when I get pulled into things, or sometimes where, where things, like people want you to be, Oh, we want to we want to hear what you have to say. Can you can you talk about that? And they they really want me to sing the ballad of how terrible it is to be black and why they should be nice to me. And when you want to sing the song of joy of I love being black, but your your product design is bad, and the fact that me being black means your product doesn't work is a you problem. I need you to get better on that kobu. Oh. They suddenly don't want to have the conversation. People love to have diversity conversations, but I'm like, okay, please do me a favor, someone who works in product, who looks at these tickets, publish all your diversity numbers. Don't tell me you're gonna do better. I wanna see all of those numbers in an easily accessible place that I can pull up every the single receipt. time. <laughs> My background is the libraries. So don't, don't, you don't have to tell me anything. You don't, I don't need to, part, and part of the joy of being black is I don't have to be the singular black person. I don't want to be a spokesperson. I like librarians, I, I like library stuff. I like thinking and reading. I like creating and coding and all of that. I don't need to be the singular black person. There are people who are often much better served than, than this, but I want my work to be done well. I want it to be, be well compensated for the things I do. I want you to credit me and I want you to credit mine and I want you to have good practices. I happen to be black while asking for these things but that doesn't make it a social justice request. It makes it a request for good systems. Mm. 
And the problem with these things is that people will treat this like, oh, you want to do diversity because you're talking about how the, link, the neuro-linguistic pro programming penalizes black people more than it penalizes people who pretend to be black. So you're talking about diversity. I'm like, oh, I'm talking about your, your, your machine learning set doesn't work. And then when it stops, and then when it hits somebody you actually care about, it's like, what is our problem with AI? There might be a math problem. So it's not a math problem when it's penalizing me or picking me out or pe penalizing black people, but it's a math problem when it stops white people. Are we using two different kinds of math? Which if we are is fine, but let's lean into that reality. And the danger becomes, it's like you will listen to me bemoan being black. You will not, li you will not listen to me and have effectual steps for us to do this work better. And that is an issue that keeps coming up. And we're going to see more of it with the idea of the now content creator economy, where everybody's response when a black person has a problem is like, are you a content creator? Because we really want to boost your profile. I don't want you to boost my profile. I want you to fix this. Oh. I don't need, I like making podcasts. I love your podcast. Okay. But <laughs> I don't need to make a podcast to get you to fix the AI that would make both of us gorillas. Right. And I especially don't need to make a podcast for this three or four times every single goddamn year when somebody pointed it out in 2013 and you can't provide me a change log for what actual interventions and reports and white papers you published and synthesized to make it stop happening. I don't need a pod podcast, I need a paper trail. Right. But they don't believe that we should have those things or it's right for us to ask for those things. And that I think is what is really, especially as we are in the times is really get, is getting stressful because we are asking for changes and responses to these Herculean once in a lifetime, once in a millennia occurrences. But the thing about change and innovation is that you don't just innovate a product. You don't just change the technical things. You've got to change society. And what is very, I think, is most uncomfortable for a lot of the people who don't want to listen or things like that, and sometimes even for me, is that I have to change myself. So I, when you tell me how do we deal with diversity, first of all, who's we? But the second question is, why are we talking about diversity? Why are we talking about it being a fundamental part of what's not functioning well? Right. Why aren't we talking about it being a fundamental part of the reason we're here? I do not like models that constantly ask me to be supplicant to deal with racism when you've already set it up in such a racist way that I'm constantly requesting things. And there are times when I feel you have more of a problem with the fact that when I tell you no or this is wrong and it sticks and you can't shut us down or get us out that we're at that place in some ways, then you have a problem with the fact that the thing don't work. Let's take a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. 
visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls code nogirls. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. And we're back. You said earlier how we are often having to, to scream at the top of our lungs for someone to hear us to fix things, right? And that everybody wants to say, oh, listen to black women, amplify black women, we support black women, until we're pointing out these problems that cause us harm. And if we're not singing this sad song about how hard it is, and we're actually saying, no, your product, your platform is creating this harm. Um, you shouted out one of my kind of tech heroes, Shereen Mitchell. I don't want to put you on the spot, but founder of Stop Online Valiance Against Women, who really did a lot of the reporting early on about the way that black women experience harm online. So one of my questions for you is like, what if you're someone who just wants to use social media to talk about Real Housewives or do your job and you didn't really sign up to be this unpaid sort of person who is always flagging these issues to make these products function the way they should? Like, what, like it, how do we exist online if we want to not have this extra unpaid burden that we really shouldn't have just to show up? 
Well, for me, it's not a what if. I got started online because I'm a sci-fi geek. Like, but that's where a lot of these problems happen. Fandom, nerddom, recently Twitch had, was having hate raids where they basically were flooding the thing, flooding people's, uh, they were flooding people's streams because of this. And the response is, there is a, there, for me, there's a two-pronged response. The response that I would give you as someone who cares about your mental energy and your faces, like curate your feed list, do this, do that, etc. You have to kind of approach it because that's the only way you will be able to operate cleanly online. The other part about it is in the, the way that I feel as a person who makes these things, someone who looks at the features and such as that, it's that it's not your responsibility. This is no longer a question to me, and that might be a response. I'm annoyed and tired of the pandemic and how we haven't addressed racism and sexism and everything to the point we are now worried about going outside because of what's happening. It is the point, it is the, it is the need and the necessity of the people to fix it. I, I don't, I don't want to have another unpaid conversation. Can you do free QA research? Can you do free design research and free user interviews? Because you don't believe me when I say I have a different experience, so I've got to cut and paste and do a whole report, but you're paying somebody within your organization who's usually not black and doesn't use the platform six figures to do it. Mm. At this point, get that person to do their job or respect the, or design it so that I can report for free. Because the other side of this is, as someone who looks at community, as someone who looks at user feedback, most of the time when we are experiencing things like that, we want to tell someone because we want it to stop. So we'll intrinsically go, hey, and some of it is carceral telling a hall monitor, but we'll turn to somebody and be like, hi, I'm experiencing these things. I think one of the things that is most enraging to me about the content creator distinction specifically is watching TikTok users and watching TikTok creators. There is, yes, the power of black storytelling, the power of black art and culture, but if you are a young person of color, but specifically black, I am in awe of you. You are learning high-level video editing and algorithmic justice and machine learning, and you are putting it into a medium on the medium that is that is marginalizing you and you are quick and good about it because how quickly does TikTok respond when somebody publishes and goes, hey, you're surfacing unnatural material, which means that these, and I say young kids, um, to me, I'm right now, anybody under 25. <laughs> I, don't mean into, I don't mean to infantilize, but anyone who's under 25. So these are people who, if they had gone to school for this, would not be finished with the PhD but they are already quick at recognizing these patterns, recognizing the tech, reporting it. They are doing that work already, and they're working as scientists, they're working as observers, they're working as researchers, they're working as organizers, making no not making dances, and we're saying to them, all you're doing is content creation, but the honest truth is they have to run a small think tank for every single account to respond to to curate because we have done so poorly in actually building the product and building the processes for harm reduction and harm mitigation or just moderating our content. That's that I, I, one of the things that I'm starting to find with the frame, and it's often confrontational, eh, I'll be confrontational a little bit, is I'm no longer accepting the framing of, so let's hear more about my problem. 
okay, if we're gonna start there, tell me how you got to 2021 and didn't know this was a problem. Tell me how you got to 2021 and you didn't know that marginalized people have a harder time online. Tell me how you are in a think tank, in a nonprofit, in a job, when you didn't, if you don't know this, when I can pull reports now from Harvard, Oxford, Yale, at one point Clemson University, Amnesty International, myself, all of this is open publication. These are the publications you mix. So why are you talking to me like I don't know what's going on? And number two, don't tell me about my tone as the fact that I'm angry. We've seen what these people do unchecked. I have been getting death threats since I was 22. I'm gonna let people in on a secret, I'm 37. I've been getting death threats for 15 smooth straight years. I'm not, I'm not here to babysit you. I'm not here to make you feel good about the dereliction of your duty. I'm here to fix this problem, and if I can't fix it for me, I'm here to fix it for the people behind me. Now, we can do that with some social things, but we also can do that by you just doing your job. Don't automatically turn on contents. Don't use an AI that recognizes me as a gorilla. Don't do it. We don't have to have a discussion. You don't have to hear my thoughts. I'm not a small child. Just fix it. Start making products that help people tell you what they need. And then when they tell you them, don't try and finesse it so you do something different because you're not comfortable. You've been told what is needed. Either do, do it or be honest about the fact of why you're not doing it. And also allow, and start allowing us to have those discussions where we just get to do our jobs. We're coders and creators and thinkers and writers and we want to go in and write a good bit of code. We want to write some good copy. We want to build these communities. Make it so I can do that. I, my, part of my job description shouldn't, shouldn't be, how do I help you solve racism? No. <laughs> We're going to do it together? Great. But I would just really like to build the code that I'm building. I'm working on a product now um, with Mozilla Rally. So we are specifically trying to build ways of tracking data, tracking everything from doom scrolling, so how, um, which was coined by a woman of color, Karen Ho, um, about how you are online to how ads are targeted to you without having to go through platforms. It's built through web extension. So, and it's great because right after that, what is it? Facebook shut down, Facebook Observer. We mm -hmm. found out that all the data everybody was getting wasn't true. And what? <laughs> that is, it takes everything in me not to start with, so I told you so, and everything in me is not good enough, so I told you so, that there is, um, there are so many people who told these people this. One of the jokes I have is that there are people who have formed a coalition of, oh my God, don't do that when it comes to social media, who don't agree on anything else. Don't agree on anything else. But you found it from sex workers, ex-religious ex conservatives, uh, abortion rights activists, black women, tech people, all of us have come together and be like, I need you to think about this. Why would you trust Facebook? Why would you organize anything to like, make you trust Facebook as a tactical decision, mm. not as a whatever decision? And that comes not from our notice because we're not on the inside. We've been the people these attack. I, don't need, I need to know why you don't trust them and I need you to build in better thoughts. And there's a like, no, 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 you don't understand how we work in Silicon Valley. We're friends, blah, blah, blah. Now you get this, that most of this data is not good. How many people's PhDs just got screwed because that data isn't viable. 
but nobody wanted to even think in terms of teaching, let's be prepared for the, the if we're hostile. You and I and other marginalized people have no other option but to think what happens if this goes left. Mm. And that is a reality in the world, and they have been watching it for years, so why aren't they prepared? And it's... And if, you, if you feel uncomfortable about giving me an answer, that feels like a thing you need to work out, right? When you have a jailbreak or something like that, you fix that immediately. What is it about our issues? What is it about the issues of people represented that you can take so long? And I think the point that we really need to move from now if we want to get better is that we're not going to get past this until we do that. Why are certain people's issues, why are certain responses always secondary? That's not if we keep dancing around this and we're going to keep up coming up with funny terms we're more concerned with, but we're not getting past that until we answer it. And it's super uncomfortable, and I am a human, so I understand why you don't want to, but we're now in a pandemic that is going into its second, possibly third year, because we, don't have, we can't understand basic kind of empathetic social reactions. There was a run-up on the capital of racists who were trying to kill people. You don't hang a noose on the front of a Capitol just as a symbolic gesture in the United States of America. Do not tell that black lie to my black face. Mm. I know what my people have been through. You put a noose on a, you put a noose somewhere, you trying to hang some people. They did that on the Capitol. They still haven't had a real full hearing. We've had all of this happen and we're still just listening why aren't we acting? And until we get to this point, we're gonna keep having spares up and flares up and goes up and goes down until we answer that question of why aren't we moving? More after a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, 
check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let's get right back into it. One of the things that I feel so frustrated about as someone who has worked in the disinformation and online extremism space for a while is this idea that we had to combat for so long that it's just jokes and people make these comments online, it's not serious. It didn't take a, a, a rocket scientist to see that online commentary doesn't just stay online and that what we saw on January 6th is directly <laughs> related. But talk about like lying to my face, how often I would be in meetings with tech leadership and they would say, oh, well, it's about speech. You know, this is not about like, we're not trying to, you know, this is not going to be related to like in real life actions. We know things that start online don't stay online. And so what we, I mean, I live in DC. What I saw in my own backyard on January 6th, I saw it as a direct reaction to the inaction that you just described to, to all of these different little cutesy names for what we could all plainly see. It's like extremism. <sighs> How spicy you want me to get? Get spicy. I have a hard time believing that spaces and confederations that are whiter than the racists and the Proud Boys are well-versed in protecting me. If you do a misinformation panel and everybody's white, I've stopped listening. At this point, if you can't grab somebody to be, hey, let's talk. Just stand there and talk. That's a base like level of work that you're not willing to do <laughs> that I now know that I can't trust anything else. I'll really, I'll really come up because there is, you've had time. And the reason it's a joke is because it's a joke to them. Mm. It is jokes and speech to them. And, I, and I'm actually, before this, I worked with the Coral Project. So I was the community research lead for the Coral Project. And that was about comment moderation. So we worked on building things to moderate comments. And 
There are times, depending on, and like there's a whole separate thing, it's like you have to set what you'll accept, et cetera, et cetera. There are times where I would moderate something or look at something, and this is something that I would punch someone in the face for if they were standing right in front of me. But as a content moderator, moderator, based on what we had defined our parameters were, I had to let it go. I might not like it, but I would let, let it go. The thing that is very, that is often grounded in a lot of these decisions is that often we are not asking them to do anything they have not set out in their own rules or bylines or anything like that. We are asking them to merely enforce them for marginalized people the way they, mar they enforce them for people who might matter. That's literally the only thing I'm asking you to do. I actually had an experience with Twitter Last year? I think it was last year. Time means nothing right now. But um, there is a congressperson where, um, who said something so violently anti-Asian and xenophobic. I don't want to repeat it, but it was congresswoman. That, a little, that speech warning, I just went, you racist, raggedy bitch. This is not something my mom's gonna be proud of. That's not something I'm necessarily proud of at that moment because it was just such a gut reaction of what? And there was, and I knew I was in good company because that was not, I wasn't the only person who said that. It was me, it was a reporter from I think the South China Post. It was, I think there was a white mom in Texas who was like, oh my God, you racist bitch. I was the only person who was blocked. I'm a verified account for whatever that means, but I was blocked. They, uh, they were a whole bunch of things and there was no way for me to appeal that. I actually had to contact someone separately. And that for, for a moderation, as a person who has moderation experience, that's a really bad model. If you're worried about things like that, and especially for a targeted congresswoman, you actually should be more concerned mm. about that language because she's a congresswoman. So I actually was not against the fact that I was blocked because you actually have to worry about that because again, the, one of the most targeted people online for racism and has been for about 10 years is Diane Abbott, the MP in London, the most targeted person in the Anglophone world is a black woman, black MP for labor in London. That's almost never mentioned. She's targeted more than anyone you could think of. I think at certain points she was targeted more than Michelle Obama. But we don't talk about that because of her specific status. But when the problem came, the hammer came down on me. The hammer did not come down on other folks. And there was no way to aggregate these, these decisions. And I had a, another friend, um, who had become friendly with, uh, who experienced a, simil a similar thing and had someone say, well, we're not sure that happens mm. to black women. And you're lying or you're bad at your job. But also how much do you want us to do? How do you get us through? If you're going to gaslight us at every turn, if it always is something you kick down the road, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. And what we're getting to is that black women are leaving these platforms. Then Twitter, Twitter just had to pay $800 million to somebody, I think it's on board, because engagement numbers were fudged and I have a slightly a more than 
hunch that some of it has to do with how badly they've moderated these racist and bots accounts versus the actual content those people create. And you've gotta be, you've gotta be willing to get better at the work. And what I think is often the issue for some things is that some people do not want to change. They don't want to change. It is not to them, even with the Nazis in the streets, the fascists running up and down the, the planet on fire and us still in the middle of a pandemic, it's not serious enough for them yet to change the way they do things. And that is a hard thing to say and it's a hard thing to hear, but until there's an actual change, I don't know that we can say anything different. And for someone who, and if I was going back to the loop-de-loop -loop I started with, but if I'm going to be a talk to a black woman I care about online, the first thing I would tell you is they have yet to make steps that are clear for your protection. That's a them problem. That's not you problem, but I want to make sure that you are aware of that. And that would be the thing, because my first concern is going to be how you are doing, not how the tech is doing. In terms of like, what do I see before, one of the things I really like about my job right now and the project we're doing with Mozilla Rally is it's starting to address what I think is always the fundamental problem with these things is how do you start getting information that people can independently co uh, corroborate? How do you start getting that kind of raw data that these platforms have been siloing and keeping to themselves? How do you get people who honestly want to have a good experience and will then tell you that to be able to get some real context? So when you tell me, when you because of some of these studies we're working with, we're working with Princeton, we're working with Stanford, and we are going to be working with the markup, and I'm very excited about that because they do great work. But couple the data with talking to people and asking, hey, how did you feel? What was going on when you saw this? And it's going to be done with respect, it's going to be done with transparency, and it's going to be done in ways that are not directly under the people who have taken so long to do right by you and still fail. Mm. And I think that is what I am hoping more works through, is that, that we stop making the idea of people and things secondary at work and we start moving into the no, it is important to us that we think about how people experience things. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I love all of this. I, one of the reasons why I'm so interested in these conversations about how these online spaces are moderated is because, you know, you talk about women who are essentially pushed out of these spaces because of this kind of harassment that just, you don't see it ever ending. And I was one of those women. There was a time <coughs> in my life where I was a very, very avid Redditor. I would like, wake up and I was unpaid, moderating all of these different spaces. And, you know, it was a big part of who I was. It was a big part of like what made me, me. And if you've ever been on Reddit, you know, sometimes it's a place where you are going to be harassed. Not just The people. Black Lady subreddit was one of the most targeted Reddits online up until like 2018. Exactly. And, you know, I remember thinking, so when it was harassment that wasn't just like, they're saying mean things to me. It was like, I know where you live, and it sounds like this person maybe does know where I live. I remember thinking, like, I've given so much of my time and my energy and myself to this platform. Certainly someone is going to hear me. Certainly when I speak up, I will be listened to. I will be heard. And when I realized that there was no one to hear what I had to say, there was nowhere to turn to, 
I realized it just wasn't worth it. And so I checked out. I just, I just logged off. And so I think back to like how much, that, how much those communities meant to me, how much those spaces meant to me, and I just let them go because every time I raised what I was experiencing, that some of this stuff was really scary, no one listened. It was like I was shouting into a void. And so I always think about all the women, what it feels like to go through this, what it feels like to be on the other side of it, and what it feels like to finally be like, enough is enough. So I'm so happy that you talk about the actual emotional experience of going through it, not just like as a user, but as a person who experiences things. So I'm going to tell you something that I want to tell everybody. And this is something that I have not learned, but therapy helps. It is not your responsibility to set yourself on fire so other people have warmth and heat. You didn't just let it go. I don't like that. You were exposed to a level of abuse, non-response, and trauma because the things we are called and said to us online are traumatic that ended up not being worth the effort you put in. There is, I don't know why, there, there becomes, like, I feel like there's often a belief that hard work must be terrorizing that I do not like. Because sometimes hard work sucks. You just got to do the thing. You got to do the rep. You got to do the rep. You got to do the project. But you shouldn't have to be hazed to talk about your hair. You shouldn't have to be hazed to talk about yourself in a movie. And if you are, and it's against their guidelines, there is someone's job for this to be done. And it's also the thing to talk about moderation is that even when moderation is done, most content moderation farms are farmed off to usually women in the Philippines. So we are hurting women of color coming and going because not only are they reading our trauma, they're also seeing the things we never see, which are assault videos. And um, Soria Chamale wrote about this, I think for Verge, again, five years ago. But we're getting all of that and it's just like, tapping out for what doesn't serve you is a completely normal human response. And you're a human. And I remember specifically around Reddit because, like I get sometimes spicy, but I, Alexis Ohanian is like, I don't understand what's this, how's this happening? Why are people getting like this online? Sir, you were the president and CEO of Reddit. Sir, I'm gonna need you to give me more than a tweet. <laughs> I'm going to need to give you more, me more than a wonderfully edited podcast with the rising music. <laughs> If you really want to know how we got here, you're going to sit down. You are going to sit down with some people, and they're not going to just be content creators. They're going to be black designers. They're going to be black PhDs. They're going to be black users, and they're going to be queer users, and they're going to be Asian users, and they're going to be Latinx users. And we're going to sit down and actually go back, and we're going to make some hard lines in the sand. And if we're not going to back it up. What you're actually telling me is you don't want to do this. And honestly, my shocking opinion, it is fine that you don't want to do this. But every moment you play in my face, every moment you make a big declaration, every moment you don't follow through, every moment we really want to meet with you and dodge that call, or you say that you're doing a fellowship and it's $30,000 less than you pay the lowest paid person who gets a job. Every single time you do that, you sap energy from people. 
You sap energy from movements. You sap people's and you sap the energy for people to have good communities online. And you don't have to do it to me personal, even though it's been done to me personal, for it to matter to me. And if you don't want to change, that's fine. But do not be surprised when your connection numbers go down. Don't be surprised when people find new ways to do this. And don't be shocked when, as people who are against you, the thing that I cannot abide by is for all of these people who are listening and pretending and caring, but do not actually do the work. At the end of the day, your user, those people want to have you to have a good experience because they want to have a safe place to be. The people who are the racists, the Nazis, all of them, they fundamentally don't want your platform to work. They don't want your product to work. They don't want people to be able to use it. They want you to fail. Why are you focused on the people who want you to fail more than you are focused on the people who want you to win? <sighs> and what social cues and what social biases do you have that make this something that you keep doing? Are you, if you're, and again, we're not going to get past if you don't answer that question. So I have a, a, a final question for you. This is a question I usually end every interview with. So we've said all of this. All of this said, are you hopeful about the state of the internet and technology? When you look at where we are, are you hopeful for what's on the horizon? Do you think it's better than where we are now or worse? I think it's different. And I'm, I'm built to be hopeful. No, my, my, mother's, my mother used to say, sometimes says about me is that I'm very, very brilliant, but not sometimes very smart. I've got more hope than sense. But, um, I am hopeful about technology because I'm hopeful about people. That's part of the reason why I'm drawn to the work I do. I'm hopeful about people. I, again, I say the, the analysis and the things I see the young folks on TikTok do. Oh my God, I can't imagine it's not being hopeful when you see <laughs> someone reviving an ancient indigenous practice of throat singing with their mother. How can you not be hopeful when you see young queer kids be able to get help how how can you not be how can you not be hopeful when someone teaches you how to magically get curry stains out of a tupperware pot <laughs> i'm guyanese i actually have it on my hat but i'm guyanese and you know that, that that's a mystical magical thing and you see that someone can do that you are i'm inexplicably hopeful that you can see that in the streets but i also think that hope is not enough I don't think that there's, I'm not excited by faraway things. I'm excited by the work that's being done. And so many people are showing up to do that work. But I am also very, very frightened because sense that is common was something that was given to me is how much longer people will have the energy and the resources to do that work is what scares me. And how committed people are to actually redistributing, redistributing or revolutionizing so that they can do the work, that's what scares me. But when it comes down to do I feel hope at all, of course. I get up and I got, if I get up and I have something to do and somebody is saying that they are thinking about a thing or they've noticed a thing and they still committed to making a piece of art or making a piece of media or even a tweet that says, this is important to me and I want the world to be slightly better, God, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful every day. Sadette Harry.
We are just about out of time. I have to thank each and every one of you for being here. You have no idea how much this means to me. Thank you so much for leaning into this conversation. Thank you again, Sadet, for being here. Um, if you want to hear more conversations like this, please tune into my podcast. There are no girls on the internet. We would love to have you. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. That was terrifying. <laughs> You're so good. <laughs>